Well, the inter internet is undefeated. Um, I saw this meme this week out there, and I just needed to share it with you guys. You guys ready? So this guy puts up this uh, thing on Facebook Marketplace. He's like, hey, anybody want to trade my yellow hood for a black or white one? It's got no dings or anything. It's in perfect condition. So you see this dude's truck with a yellow hood. He's a white truck. Next post. I got you, right? The guy's got the exact same truck, but opposite. He's like, let's make a trade right now. So they meet up in real life, and then they do this. Boom. Perfect. And I just thought this was awesome on Valentine's Day. I've got no joke other than that. Uh, I know that Valentine's Day can seem like Singles Awareness Day. It's like the most painful night of the year for many people. It's not going to be like that for you tonight. I want you to feel... Like, this is home. Like, you fit in here just like that person getting that new hood on his car. That so this is a place where you can belong and find your people. And uh, I want to just set you at ease. Tonight, we're not talking about dating. It's not going to be like, hey, 10 ways to get a date. We're kicking off our new series in the book of Mark. So if you got a copy of your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Mark chapter 1. We're going to focus on Jesus tonight. And uh, like we do every night. <laughs> but uh, we're going to be walking through the book of Mark. I just kind of want to give you some, some updates on what's coming down the pike for you in the next couple of weeks. So uh, tonight, we're kicking off the series. Next week, my buddy Dave Marvin from The Porch uh, is here. Uh, I don't know if you know about The Porch. It's like Kairos, but in Dallas. And he's going to be here just bringing the word, uh, continuing our study in the book of Mark. And then one other thing that's just kind of bubbling up to the surface I just wanted to bring to you. This wasn't something that was in my original plan or notes, but... Uh, I got a call from a buddy of mine named Luke Lefevre today, and he said, uh, have you seen what's going on at Asbury? Uh, I don't know if you guys have been watching what's going on at Asbury College uh, in Kentucky. There's a revival that's broken out. People are like praying. They've been praying nonstop basically for the past week, um, and it's kind of caught national attention from a lot of people because with a lot of us who are uh, pastor types, we've just been praying that God would would awaken a desire, a hunger for God in this generation. We're seeing some of that happen here. And so what we're thinking here in our city, in Nashville, uh, what would it look like if we got together on Thursday night and just gathered to pray and cry out to the Lord uh, for uh, his, his name and his renown to just rise in our city, for people to just get really hungry for the Lord. So us, uh, the folks at Crosspoint, Ethos, a couple other churches in town, we're going to gather together. And we really don't even know where we're going to do it yet because it's just kind of coming together like last minute. Um, Jenny Allen, if you guys know her from the If Gathering, she's also helping spearhead some of this. And so we're just kind of praying through where that may be. Right now we're kind of thinking it's either going to be here or at Crosspoint. And so if you want to come, um, just check our Instagram page. We'll put something up in the next day or so. But we're just trying to get it together before uh, this, this moment passes and we go back to just ordinary life. We want to just just get closer to Jesus. And so we may have a prayer gathering on Thursday night. So just check our socials. Now, I want to go into the word tonight as we look at uh, Mark chapter 1. We're going to be looking at Jesus. We're going to look closely at him. And we're just going to kick off this series by just doing a deep dive into Mark chapter 1. So let me read it to you. It says this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet. See, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. 
Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John wore a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, one who is more powerful than I am is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. And as soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And immediately the spirit drove him into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels were serving him. Now, I think before we get into this study in the book of Mark, we need to do a little bit of background. It's like say like what's going on here and who is Mark and and what does he have to say about Jesus? Because a lot of times we, we hear about these different books of the Bible. We don't really know a lot about them, okay? So Mark uh, was not one of the 12 disciples that were following Jesus. He was Peter's uh, younger cousin. And he first kind of comes on the scene when he gets drawn into a mission trip with the apostle Paul. But uh, Mark, at the beginning of his ministry, is kind of a flake, okay? He gets homesick, decides to go home, and Paul writes him off. He's like, I don't want anything to do with Mark. He's just like, he's dead to me. Like, he literally is like, never want to see that dude again. But later, he resurfaces and writes the gospel of Mark, and he does it using Peter's memories. So Peter kind of speaks into Mark's life, tells him his memories of his time with Jesus. And so in many ways, the gospel of Mark really is the gospel of Peter, which is important for us to realize because when we read the gospel of Mark, over and over again, you find the disciples looking like idiots, especially Peter, right? This is where we get like the archetype where Peter's kind of an idiot, doesn't know what he's doing. He's kind of like slow-witted. And the reason why Peter's depicted that way is because Peter himself is like, yeah, I didn't get it. Like Jesus would tell us stuff, had no idea. And so often we characterize Peter like in a negative light, but it's simply because Peter's incredibly humble, teaching us what it really felt like to be next to Jesus. And you're going to see this over and over again through the book of Mark. Now, at the beginning of the book of Mark, you find uh, Mark telling us that Jesus appeared and he appeared at his baptism. Now, we know that Jesus had a whole other life before this. He was uh, a carpenter or a builder. He grew up in Nazareth. But here in Mark's gospel, he appears right on the scene and ready for action. And he appears at his baptism. John the Baptist, his cousin, was probably the greatest preacher anybody had ever heard. And people would come from everywhere to hear him talk about how to have a relationship with God. And John's mission literally was to prepare the way for Jesus to come on the scene. When Jesus comes, Jesus is baptized by John and something miraculous happens. Heaven itself splits open. A dove descends, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And God the Father speaks a word over Jesus. This is what he says. I want you to look with me in the scriptures. Uh, see what the scriptures say about Jesus. Uh, verse 11 says, A voice came from heaven. 
You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And here's where I want to spend the rest of our time tonight. As I was thinking about this introductory sermon in this series, I didn't really know how to how to walk through this well with you because I was like trying to figure out like what does it look like to teach on Jesus' first steps in ministry. And what I landed on was here uh, that, that Jesus did not go from this mountaintop moment to his next mountaintop moment. Instead, the first thing you see him experiencing was suffering. Look with me in the the text, verse 12. It says, immediately, so as soon as he's baptized, as soon as he hears that God says, this is my beloved son, the first thing that happens is he goes into the wilderness where he's tempted by Satan. He's with the wild animals and he has angels around him. And so I think this is an important thing for us to drill down on. These three key areas that Jesus experiences immediately after his baptism. He experiences the wilderness. He experiences the temptations of Satan. And he experiences this interesting passage where it says like he was with the wild animals. And so we're gonna spend our time talking about those three elements as it regards to our own personal journey as followers of Jesus. Okay, so let's look at this first thing, this idea of the wilderness. Many of us do not have a good theology of suffering. And it's it's really important that we do. Because our faith gets very fragile whenever we run against hard times or when the world disappoints us or when we experience some kind of loss. And the reason for that is because many of us think that if we accept Jesus into our heart, that Jesus will make sure that we never struggle, that nothing bad will ever happen to us. And let me just tell you, But that is a lie. It's a lie. Jesus, the perfect son of God, pleased God perfectly with everything he did. In fact, God from heaven says, you are my beloved son. I am pleased with you. Immediately departs to the wilderness. And it's in the wilderness that God does his work. God does his greatest work in the wilderness. Now, I don't know if anybody in this room likes being outdoors. Have you got any outdoorsy hunter types? Anybody? A couple people? Yeah, some of you guys. You guys are my heroes. Like, if, if technology went away, I would starve. Like, I cannot, literally, I cannot hunt anything. I can't, like, prepare food that's not, like, from Publix. Like, I literally have no skills. I don't know if any of you feel me in this. Like, if, if, if like, there was some kind of, like, zombie apocalypse, I'd be, like, the first to go. I'd be like, come take me. Like, I cannot do anything, right? Yet... Jesus goes out in the wilderness with nothing. He doesn't carry a tent with him. He doesn't have food or supplies. He simply goes out in the wilderness because in the wilderness, God does his work. And in the Bible, you find over and over again, God doing his work in the wilderness. You see this in the very first prophet that God raises up, the prophet Moses. Moses had it all figured out. He was the prince of Egypt. He had power and position. Ancient records tell us that he may have been a general in Pharaoh's army. You would think that if God was going to raise up anybody to be a deliverer for his people, he would pick Moses because Moses was the most eligible candidate. But instead of choosing Moses when he was in his power, God sent him into the wilderness to know that God alone could provide salvation. 
Moses gets sent out to the wilderness, not for a year, but for 40 years. And he lives there as a shepherd until God takes away all of his strength. He's an old man with no connections and no power and no strength of arms. And God says, now you're ready to go deliver Israel because it's not going to be you doing it, Moses. It's going to be me. So Moses goes, delivers the people out of Israel with God's mighty hand, brings the people back into the wilderness. And there, they remain for 40 years. You would think that after being slaves, God would be like, sweet, you've been slaves. Now I'm going to reward you. But no, God sends them into the wilderness because they were not ready to become his sons yet. For 40 years, they travel in the wilderness until they forget their slavery. And God does his work in them in the wilderness and brings them out to their land. Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days. And there he's tempted by Satan. Why? Because God uses the wilderness to reveal his goodness to us. So let me just speak to you right now. Listen, you may already have experienced a season of wilderness where everything is not going well for you. Your parents are divorcing or you're struggling to have enough money to buy food. I've been there. Like when I was in seminary, <clears throat> I went through a season where like the only thing I could afford was, was like stuff off the dollar menu at Wendy's. Like literally I was like, do I have enough for lunch today? I've been there where you may be tonight. You may be going through a season of deep, dark depression, loneliness. I want you to hear tonight is that Jesus understands what it feels like to be in the wilderness because he's been there. And in the wilderness, he found God's enemy ready to tempt him. That's the second thing I want us to talk about tonight, which is Satan. You know, a lot of us don't think about Satan very much until he shows up at the Grammys. Sam Smith dresses like him, right? Many of us think about Satan. We think about Satan. We think about a cartoon character we watched, whether it was like an old school, like Bugs Bunny, like for me, or maybe some other cartoon that you may have watched. Many of us think that Satan's a caricature, that he's simply someone there to tempt you or give you bad choices, or he's like a little devil on somebody's shoulder trying to like, you know, make you do something sinful. But the Bible tells us that Satan is real and that he seeks to destroy God's people. He hates God. He wants to replace God. And here you find Satan appearing in the wilderness and he tempts Jesus. Now, in Mark, if you guys look with me, we find that in Mark chapter uh, 12, uh, he goes, Jesus goes into the wilderness and he's tempted by Satan. That's all we get from this text about this temptation. But we do find in Luke and Matthew a longer description as to what happens. And what happens is that Satan poses three questions to Jesus, gives him three temptations. And every single one of these temptations is preceded by a question. Do you know what the question is? The question is this. Satan comes to Jesus and says, if you are the son of God, then, and he gives him his temptation, turn stones to bread. Come, bow down before me and I'll give you the kingdoms of the earth. Leap from the top of the top of the temple, and then everyone will see that you're God, Jesus. But every single one of those temptations 
are preceded by a question, if you are the son of God. See, Satan comes directly at Jesus' identity. He questions his relationship with God. He seeks to separate Jesus from his father. And the same thing is true of you and I. When we are tempted, whether it's to look at pornography or to go too far with our boyfriend or girlfriend or to to cave to the temptation (coughs) of some kind of addiction or to, to believe the worst about ourselves, that we are unlovable or unknowable or that we are completely alone. Whenever we feel temptation, It's tied to our identity. Satan comes against us and says, are you really someone that God loves? Do you really have value? Who are you really? And what you find Jesus resting on, I believe, was his identity that God spoke over him. The last thing that Jesus heard before he went into the wilderness was God saying this over him. You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Some of you have never heard anyone say that to you. One of my friends has never heard his father ever tell him that he loved him. But God's word for you tonight is that he longs to have you in his family. He longs for you to be his. He loves you with a reckless love. He cares about you. He knows your name and he is calling you his own. I've been uh, coaching basketball this fall uh, and I was coaching uh, eight-year-old girls. Let me just tell you, like, it's not easy to coach eight-year-old girls with basketball. It's like herding cats. Like, it's like, go this way, maul them. Like, it's literally like, like, you can hardly get them, like, stay focused at any time. We had one of the girls had never played basketball before. She came from a really rough background. She's a wonderful little girl, but she just is kind of spacey. So over and over again, I'd be like, hey, pay attention, pay attention. And, and just try to like, get her pointed in the right direction. But we had a moment of breakthrough in one of the games. As we were coming close to the end of the game, uh, the game was close. Uh, we wanted to win so we can get in the playoffs. And, and she was in. And I was like, oh, no, I don't know how this is going to go. Like, like, please pay attention. Please don't tackle anybody. Please look at the ball. Like, I was just thinking all the worst case scenarios. And in that moment, I just looked down at her, looked at her in her face. And I just looked at her. And I said, and I said her name. And I said, I'm proud of you. Y'all. That moment's going to stay with me the rest of my life. She looked at me and she finally focused on me and she, she nodded. I don't know how often she had heard that anyone was proud of her, but she looked at me and she was like, I've got this. And she went out and gave it her all. There's something within all of us that longs for approval. Deep down within us, we want to know that we are lovable and that we are seen and we are known. And I want you to hear tonight that that God sees you that way. You see, God has invited us to be a part of his family. He's adopted us into his family. And so the same thing that Jesus heard, God is speaking over you. If you will just let him call you into his family, God is saying that over you. You are my beloved son or daughter, you know, my beloved, I have an adopted son and I love him just like every single one of my biological children. I love him with all of my heart. 
God loves you that way. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus. So the question I have for you tonight is this. Whose strength are you living in? Are you living in your own strength or are you living in the identity that Jesus is speaking over you? Because if you're living in your own, you're always going to fail in temptation. You cannot be strong enough. You cannot have enough information. You cannot go to church enough. The only thing that will allow you to stand strong is knowing that you belong to Jesus. And living in it and holding fast to it. So tonight, as we close out, in our time of 120 seconds, I just want you to wrestle with this question. Single question. We're going to put it on, this, on the screens. And the question is this. Will I hold on to my identity as God's beloved child? You see, the world will try to tell you that your identity is caught up in like how much money you have or how many people you know or how good you are at school. The world will tell you that you have to achieve to be loved. Jesus was loved before he had done a single thing for God. Before he had done a single thing, before he conquered a single temptation, before he had gone to the cross, before he had taught a single sermon, God loved him first. And he does the same thing for you. So there are a couple different kinds of people in the room tonight. Some of us, we've been in church our whole life. Like, like when we were in the womb, like we're at church. Like, we, like and our parents were the last to leave. They've been on staff. Like, man, man, like we know church. Like we know all the stuff. We know all the answers. We're the kid that was talking back to our class and our, our teacher in class and like correcting them. Like we, we know all the stuff, but we don't necessarily know that God has called us to more. And we may have forgotten who he's called us to be. So we hold fast to our identity. There's others in this room who we've been to church, we went to the camp, we prayed the prayer, but man, we are so far from Jesus. Like we know how to act like a Christian, but if we look deep within our heart, we are not anywhere close to him. And Jesus wants you to hold fast to your identity, to reclaim it. To say, no, I, I've been running for a long time, but what I need to do is I need to come home. I need to come home because when I'm home, then things make sense again. I mean, that's you tonight. There's still others who have never really been to church here tonight. And we're so glad that you're here. For you, this is the beginning of a journey where you're gonna be experiencing something new. So let me just tell you, if you're interested in knowing who Jesus is, know this, it's not about what you do, it's who you know. It's not what you do on religious terms, it's knowing the Father through Jesus. And if you're interested in taking a step in knowing God on a real authentic level, we would love to walk that path with you. Just come talk to me afterwards. Talk to any of our leaders here because the most important thing for you to do is to know Jesus, to know how much he loves you, that he has given everything for you.
So as we take this time, just think about where we are, whether we've been in church forever and it's gotten cold and stale in our heart, or it's, it's we're coming back to God, or for the very first time, we're just exploring Jesus. Know this, you are loved, you are safe, you are home here. And I just wanna pray a prayer over you. Jesus, as we just reflect on this idea of identity, God, may we reject all false labels, all false loves. May we fully embrace who you've called us to be, which is your children. May we hold fast to them. This identity that you have seen us, you've known us, and you love us. And from that identity, may we live a life that is worthy of your name. We love you, Jesus.